Our first scripture this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, verses 1 through 8. Let us listen now for God's word to us. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right. For soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Happy is the mortal who does this, the one who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and refrains from doing any evil. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath, and do not profane it, and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel. I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. Our second scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Let us listen again for God's word. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, Great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. So there's this really fantastic scene in the movie Talladega Nights, which, once again, is one of those movies I can't exactly endorse from the pulpit, but just this one scene, okay? It's... In this scene, the family of the most famous and successful NASCAR driver on the face of the earth, a man named Ricky Bobby, they're gathered around the table for, for, uh, for family meal. And this family meal, they worked hard to prepare, a meal consisting of Domino's, KFC, and Taco Bell. And they're joined by Ricky Bobby's best friend and his teammate, Cal Naughton Jr. Now Ricky, like he always does, opens the meal with a family prayer. And he directs this entire prayer 
towards little baby Jesus. And he keeps talking about baby Jesus. And he gives thanks to baby Jesus for his children, who are named Walker and Texas Ranger. He thanks baby Jesus for his wife. He thanks baby Jesus for Cal. He thanks baby Jesus for his father-in-law, who was also present at the meal with them. And and he asks baby Jesus to use his magic baby Jesus powers to heal his father-in-law. And then eventually his wife interrupts him. And she says to him, you know Jesus grew up, right? He, He didn't stay a baby. You don't always have to pray to the baby Jesus. To which Ricky responds, well, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. And then eventually, Cal, his best friend, interjects and says, you know, I I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo shirt, because it says, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. And, And I like to party, so I want my Jesus to party too. Now, while this scene is obviously absurd and ridiculous and hilarious, what it helpfully illuminates for us, actually, is our tendency to image Jesus very much in line with our own values and in line with our own beliefs. And if, you, if we were to survey everyone in this congregation right now, who is Jesus, we would get many, many different answers about that. Now, there's some things we all agree upon, right? Son of God, died on a cross, raised from the dead. But that's probably where it ends. Depending on who you talk to, Jesus might either be a a gun-toting, NRA, card-carrying, traditional values-supporting conservative, or a hybrid car-driving, public health care-advocating, pro-choice liberal, right? Pick an issue, and people on both sides of the issue can point you to the scripture that proves definitively that Jesus' position is also, very conveniently, their position, right? And in fact, several months ago, there were, there were two congressmen Uh, that were debating on the floor whether or not to cut funding for a certain program. And they each made their own case, one for and one against, on the basis of the exact same passage of Scripture. Now, I don't think we necessarily mean to do it, but we all have a tendency to do this, if we're being honest. To paraphrase the 18th century philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau, God created us in his image, and then we returned the favor. We make God, and especially Jesus, to look exactly like us in many, many ways, to support the things we support, to vote the way we vote, and even to look the way we look. I remember uh, being in high school and doing some kind of event with my youth group, and we were visiting that day this uh, predominantly black church, and we went in, and there was a picture inside the sanctuary of a black Jesus. And I leaned over to my youth director, and I whispered, they, they know Jesus wasn't black, right? To which he responded, you know Jesus wasn't white, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> of course not. I mean, in every picture I ever saw of Jesus from my children's Bible all the way on up, Jesus had blonde hair, blue eyes, and white skin. That's who Jesus was to me. Now again, we all do this, usually unintentionally, without giving a whole lot of thought to it. But then when we see or hear someone else's picture of Jesus, and it doesn't quite match with ours, particularly someone like Ricky Bobby or Cal Naughton, we might respond something like, oh, not my Jesus, okay? That's not the Jesus that I know. That is not my Jesus. And that's what I love about today's gospel reading, is that if taken at its word, at face value, it makes almost all of us a little bit uncomfortable 
it makes all of us do this double take and say, well, wait a second, not, not my Jesus, right? My Jesus wouldn't quite do that. You know, the, the setting of this story is in, is in Gentile territory. Jesus and his disciples have left the comfort of being surrounded by their own people. They are now among the unclean, among the dogs, which was a common way for Jews to refer to their unclean Gentile neighbors. So as they're walking through Gentile territory, Jesus is approached by a woman that the narrator identifies as a Canaanite woman, which is a deliberate anachronism. This is interesting because at this point in history, there are no Canaanites. Canaan no longer exists. The region they are in is Phoenicia, which is why when Mark tells this story, he identifies this same woman as a Syrophoenician woman. But of course, you might remember from your Sunday school classes, the Canaanites are the historical enemies of Israel, according to many, many biblical narratives. In other words, right off the bat, she is identified not only as a Gentile, but as someone who is a direct descendant of one of the enemies of God's people. But strangely, she reaches out to Jesus using this very distinctly Jewish title. She cries out to him, begging for mercy and asking for him to heal her daughter, and she calls him the son of David. Now at first, Jesus simply ignores her. And in his defense, he's probably exhausted. They've been on the move. They've been doing a lot of different stuff. He just fed thousands of people very recently. You know, they had that whole experience of him walking on the water out to Peter. That was probably pretty exhausting. He had healed a bunch of people as he's on his way. And all, they, all these people had to do was touch his cloak, and they were healed just like that, every single one of them. They didn't get all up in his face about it. They weren't being so, you know, hmm. So Jesus does what we often do also when we see someone in need and we're tired or in a hurry or not quite in the mood. He just keeps walking and pretends to not hear her. But this is no ordinary woman. She is the mother of a sick child. And as you know, the mother of a sick child will stop at nothing to do everything she can to get her child whatever help she can find. And this woman will not stop pestering her. I call that persistence with the kids, but it's really more like pestering. And finally, the disciples are sick of it. And they say, Jesus, get rid of her. Send her away. And he says to her, he says to them, I was sent only for the, ha- the, the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, you're right, she's not my problem. This is not what I'm here for. But this woman remains persistent and tenacious as much as she can be. And she runs in front of Jesus and kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. Help me. And then this is where this story gets really uncomfortable. Jesus says to her, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Jesus is, of course, reiterating his point that he was sent only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in this analogy, the lost sheep of Israel are the children. And this woman is one of the dogs that he was not sent for. Jesus just called this woman a dog. And this is the point where readers and interpreters will get really creative and doing all, start doing all sorts of kind of awkward interpretive gymnastics to make this a much more palatable story for us because that's not my Jesus. 
That's not the Jesus I know. My Jesus would not call that woman a dog. Not my Jesus. Now, some scholars will tell you that Jesus used what is called the diminutive form of the noun, which means he didn't simply call her a dog. He called her a little dog. And puppies are cute, right? We all like puppies. And they're universally loved. So it's really not as bad as it seems. And Now, I don't know about you, but I'd really prefer to not be called either. And in fact, being called a little dog might even be slightly more condescending. And then others will say, well, Jesus was just testing the woman to see how she would respond. And then I wonder what kind of picture that gives us of God. Does God test our faith like this before answering our prayer? Do we have to earn God's blessing? Or or do we have to be good enough? Do we have to be faithful enough before God will respond to us? That's not my Jesus. That's not my God. And then others will say, well, he was doing it to teach the disciples something. They are the ones who thought that Jesus was sent only for Israel, only for the house of Israel. Now, Jesus knows, of course, that he's for the Gentiles too, but they have to be kind of brought along a bit more slowly. But then in that scenario, this woman and her tormented child, who was being, the the gospel says, oppressed by a demon, they're nothing but an object lesson, a prop in Jesus' lesson plan. So what I love about this text is that folks who are otherwise fully committed to a very literal word-for-word interpretation of every last word of Scripture suddenly start looking for things like nuance and metaphor. They start looking for things that aren't completely in the text to help explain something about this uncomfortable story because that's not my Jesus. So let's make this something, let's make this story into something more like what my Jesus would do, how my Jesus would would approach this. But perhaps there's a very simple explanation, even if it is a bit unpalatable. Perhaps Jesus was a little grumpy that day, exhausted from their journey and all that they had been through. Perhaps Jesus, like all of us do from time to time, was having a bad day, and she caught him at kind of the wrong time. And perhaps he truly didn't understand yet that his mission was even bigger than he initially thought. The woman responds to him by saying, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Perhaps her clever retort and her tenacity truly moved Jesus and helped change and inform his understanding of his mission and purpose. And notice what it is she's asking for just the crumbs from the table. And we're immediately reminded that when Jesus fed thousands of people with nothing but five loaves and two fish, that there were enough crumbs left over to fill 12 basketfuls. So she basically says to him, you have more than enough crumbs to spare. Don't tell me there's not enough. And Jesus responds, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter is healed instantly. So perhaps he was genuinely moved by the faith and persistence of this woman. Perhaps she even taught him something that day. Taught him something about himself. But admittedly, we're uncomfortable with this idea. We we don't want a Jesus who might be a little rude from time to time. And we especially don't want a Jesus who has to learn something about his own mission and purpose. I mean, it's his mission. It's his purpose. He should know this. 
We want a Jesus who knows and sees everything plainly. A Jesus with complete knowledge and perfect understanding. A Jesus who is, well, not really all that human after all. Now, we all know and will say that Jesus was fully God and fully human. You know, but in actual practice, most of us tend to tip the scales more to the divine than to the human. Our Jesus knows everything. He doesn't have to learn anything because he has that complete divine foreknowledge. Our Jesus is the Jesus of away in a manger, right? The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. When, when baby Jesus is hungry or tired or upset, he doesn't cry. He's God, right? God wouldn't cry about that. What we don't realize is that when we image Jesus in this way, we actually come pretty close to what is technically an ancient heresy called docetism. It's very interesting. Which says that Jesus only appeared to be human. He only seemed to be human. He appeared in human form, but didn't come along with this, all this other baggage of humanity, like having to learn stuff. Like he just, he just kind of knew it because he was God. But perhaps what we see here in this story, in this text, is a picture of Jesus that is really, truly human. Someone who was wrestling with his own identity, his own sense of purpose for himself. Someone who, like us, was trying to figure out his place in God's plan. So perhaps on that day, this woman, this tenacious, persistent, even irritating, pestering mother, helped Jesus understand that his mission was bigger than even he had ever imagined. That his call extended further than even he suspected. And perhaps what she taught him on that day was similar to what the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 56. And the context here is that the exile is over. The people are returning home. And their driving question is, how do we rebuild this city? Who belongs here in this city? How do we remain holy and set apart in this new context? Isaiah's answer is that God's vision is bigger than they ever previously imagined. Not only are foreigners invited in, but even the eunuchs, these people who compromised themselves, mutilated themselves sexually, to be the tools of a corrupt empire, an empire that oppressed God's people and destroyed their kingdom, destroyed their temple, their access to God. Even they are invited into this assembly as long as they keep Sabbath and hold fast to the covenant. So perhaps on that day, Jesus, God's own anointed one, the Messiah, through the dogged faith of this rejected outcast mother, learned that God was calling him further than even he initially understood. Like it or not, this, this is our Jesus. We cannot deny him or interpret him away. It's not our job to make Jesus more palatable. It is our job, though, to be more like this Canaanite woman, to live our faith so tenaciously and persistently and to be a part of God's ever-expanding circle of welcome, bringing in the rejected, the outcast, and the forgotten. This is the vision that Jesus learned on that day. May it be a vision that we too learn on this day.
Amen.